everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Books Are Chic. I am so excited to have this author with us today. It is our first appearance on Books Are Chic, which I am super thrilled about, but I have followed her for so long, um, and, and I've just loved everything I've read that she's written, and she's just a wonderful person who also has a podcast and so many things. She she wears many hats, but we are here to celebrate the New York Times best-selling The Secret Book of Flora Lee, which I loved. Welcome, Miss Patty Callahan-Henry. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad it's my first time, but I hope it's not my last. Oh, it will not. I mean, I'm like shocked it's your first time, but you, like I said, we'll we'll uncover all the many hats that you wear. But I was thinking, and I have received, I would say probably most of your books when I started my blog, um, I would receive your books and I, I loved them and devoured them. But then I don't know if you all remember this because this is like an ancient thing now of the past. It doesn't even exist anymore. But I met you in person at, oh my God, what was it? Oh, Book Expo. Book oh my Expo. gosh. When I so have, that was. So it had to have been your last book for Book Expo and I'm totally blanking on it. Um, I have a signed copy. It was Becoming Mrs. Lewis. We yes. were at BEA in the yes. Javits Center in New York. Yes, yes. Okay, and now Courtney, it's, I remember. Yes, and I was like so nervous, but I was like, if I don't go, I'm going to regret this. And um, I'm so glad I did. You were so lovely and signed my book. I still have it. But like, so sad that that just doesn't even, that's not even a thing anymore. It doesn't even exist. And it was so much fun. It was always in New York. Mm-hmm. Every publisher was there. Every author that had books coming out in the fall was there. Um, I went and listened to every talk because yes. I, I mean, I'm there as an attendee too. So yeah, it's, I'm sorry it doesn't exist anymore. I know. I'm glad I, I feel, met you there. I know. Yeah. I'm so glad I met you. And I know, I feel like something needs to take place of that. I just, I am I mean, I get it. And I think, you know, with COVID things sort of shifted, but I feel like somebody has to bring some big Well, thing they're like trying. That. They have something called the U.S. Book Show. I think it's going on right now or just ended. Mm-hmm. So I know they're trying to replace it, but everything changed after COVID. The way we buy books, the way... We find out about books. I mean, look, your podcast exploded during that. Friends and fiction grew out of it. So, so many things in the book world changed because of COVID. So it did. That was it one did. of them. We lost yeah, it. Yeah, we lost it. But you're right. There were so many amazing things. Like you said, friends and fiction, which I want to go into. But first, since you're new here and we have listeners who may not be familiar, although I don't know why they wouldn't be, um, about like how you got started and sort of a little bit of your background, because you have a very fun, like you didn't start out as a writer, which I love. You're actually a girl after my own heart with a, with a healthcare background. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yes. So I was, went to, um, Auburn University, and my degree is in nursing. My graduate degree is in pediatric nursing. And I didn't sit down to write my first novel until I was in my late 30s. Um, I had three little kids under five years old. Five kids and three kids in five years is a lot. Um, lot. So why I thought that was the time to try and write my first novel, I don't know, except I was obsessed. So 
being a huge reader and bookworm nerd my whole life, I decided that I would try and do an hour a day, something that was about me and my creative life. And I thought I just wanted to write one novel. And that was 17 novels ago and a lot of short stories and essays and articles. So obviously I had been, you know, ready for it. Now it wasn't an instant thing. I didn't sit down one day and say, oh, I'm going to write my first novel. And then next year it was published. It was many years. My first novel came out in 2004 and I started probably in late 1999. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't an overnight thing, but yes, I haven't looked back since, not for one second. No. And now you're like this, you exploded onto the scene and you have so many other things that just make you so amazing. But when you decided that you were going to do this one hour a day and you were like, you know, I'm a bookworm. I, you know, you loved it all. What, what was sort of your process in that sense? Did, were you just like, did you just sit down at your computer and just start writing? Like, how did that sort of come to fruition? Because I think people would no. be like, okay, well, she just like sat down and started writing. No, I, <laughs> the first thing I did, because I, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I love school. <laughs> Like I loved class. I like having an assignment. Maybe that's why I like deadlines. Like I like an assignment. I like to finish and hand it in, right? I loved school. I loved college. I loved graduate school. I mean, for the most part. But the first thing I did was sign up for a writing class. And I was living in Atlanta at the time. So I signed up for something called Evening at Emory. Um, And that is the very first thing I did. And then I started entering contests. I went to writers' conferences, I went to critique sessions. Um, I joined local writers groups. I I really just took a deep dive in the deep end of, of a pool that I'd never been to before. I didn't know any writers. I didn't have anyone to call and say, you know, hey, where do I begin? And this is before the internet where you could just Google local writing classes. Mm -hmm. So it was a very personal, like one-on-one, finally talking to enough people, asking around enough, reading enough magazines. I read every book on writing I could get my hands on from Stephen King's on writing to Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. I devoured the artist's way and did every exercise in it um, and just completely devoted myself to it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's incredible. But I think when people hear that you, it's like you said, it didn't just happen that way that you did all this stuff to, to, and it's been many, like you said, many years in the making. And then now you have, is this your 18th or 17th book? 17th book. And, and I think what's important in that is, although maybe I could only write for an hour or two a day in the wee hours yeah. of the morning while my kids slept, my, the rest of my day is. It, even an inkling of free time was spent diving into the art and craft of writing. So it wasn't just the two hours every morning and then I forgot about it the rest of the day. I was doing the exercises, reading books about it. Um, if I could have, I would have listened to podcasts about it, even though I still do now, but they weren't didn't exist at the time. So writers are so, emerging writers are have such a plethora of, information now that I didn't have in the late 90s from podcasts to 
shows to video interviews to book events. Like people didn't even really go to book events like that yeah. in the late nineties. Like you went to a signing, but nobody was giving a lecture, right? right. Or you couldn't Q and a, or I didn't know about it if you could. So what they, what, what we have now is just magical. It's amazing. Yeah. There is so much out there and like festivals and stuff like that. Who back, like back in the nineties when you were raising your kids mm. and you started dabbling into to writing, like who were some of your favorite authors way back then? Mm, I was obsessed with Ann River Siddons and Pat mm. Conroy. Mm-hmm. So I went to Auburn, like I mentioned before, which is in mm-hmm. the South, very deep South. I did not grow up in the South. And when I found their work, I was a completely enthralled with their lyrical language. And I'd been a huge reader all of my life. But when I first started writing, I spent a little too much time trying to emulate them. And that's not my natural voice. So I had to kind of mine my own voice out of an imitation of theirs, because they do have a very similar cadence and language, those two writers. But those were the first two that made me say, I want to do that. I really want to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible. And I remember when I would go to, to my grandmother's house, she lived um, on Cape Cod. She had all of their mm. books because, you know, there was like this beachy sort of um, Southern vibe to them. Um, and then as when I got older, I had read a few of them and I was like, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, I get incredible. it. They're, they're master yeah. storytellers, master yeah. storytellers. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. Before we get into the secret book of Flora Lee, I want to touch upon, and you mentioned it before, and this is definitely something that came out of the pandemic, friends and fiction, because mm. friends and fiction, I interviewed Christy Woodson Harvey at the beginning of the pandemic and friends and fiction was like, it was like, it had a big following, but like, I think you guys were just starting out and she's like, we have this thing called friends and fiction. We're just like giving it a whirl. We thought, why not? Which like, I think a lot of, you know, everything was canceled. Authors couldn't do anything. I was doing these Zooms. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but like, I felt like we have to support these works of art. It's just because everything else is canceled. Like we can still, books should be celebrated more, you know, now more than ever. And so she was like, yeah, friends and fiction. And then I've interviewed Mary Kay and it got a little bigger. And now you guys, like, I feel like are like an all girl rock band, like touring merchandise. <laughs> like, I la- I watched, I watched all the lady. Yeah. I watched. As a fan of all of yours with your writing, um, and I haven't had Kristen on, but I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I just got her book in the mail today. I was like, I have to have all of them on so I can complete complete the band on books or sheets. But I, it is incredible. Like it is so incredible. You have a podcast. Like it, it's like a machine. We to to reiterate what Christy said when she first came on. We had no idea what it would become. And if yeah. we had, if we had those goals, right, if we had started out and said, all right, we're going to start a show and a podcast that will have 160,000 members and a live show every Wednesday night and a podcast on Fridays and live shows and merchandise, we would have just laughed. 
would have been like, who has those kind? That is insane. We write books, which we also do. Um, but what happened was during the pandemic, it just, it was like um, the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And mm -hmm. readers were looking for a place to gather. And I'm using quotation marks because we couldn't gather anywhere else. But they could gather right here on this Facebook page with four authors. And at the time it was five because Mary Alice was one of the co-founders. And then um, all these readers and they could talk about books and they could watch us interview other authors and talk to them and ask live questions. And what it grew into was just an incredible community of readers. And now it has very little to do with us. I think we are mostly uh, an excuse to gather but as soon as we could go do live events, we started doing them together and we've done one for each of our book releases. And I think honestly, they come to see each other way more than they come to see us, but I'm happy they come. So it is, it's an incredible community of readers. It and of is. course, the four of us are the dearest of friends, along with Meg Walker, who manages us and then Ron Block, who helps do our podcast. It's, it's a family. That's for sure. I, I know you guys are, it is so fun to see you guys and, um, you know, either you're dedicating books to each other or you're got your, you know, you're in your acknowledgements. And like I said, I've chatted with a few of the rest of you guys and just the way that you talk about each other, it's just like, it reaffirms the power of just books and reading, how it can, it doesn't matter mm. like who you are, where you come from, but like a good book is like a tether between people. And, you know, I think you started it at a time where we just needed it. Not only did we need books, but we just needed to know other people were out there that were just like, okay, you know, what's happening in this world and a place that people could come and you're hysterical and, you know, it's just what the energy that you're giving off is just so magical that people felt safe. And so of course you needed merch and a tour because people, then it was like, okay, now we can go out. And I'm like, it's so fun to just watch all of you. Um, and, you know, obviously as a avid reader, you know, I was so appreciative and it was so fun to listen. And I love listening to the podcast too. I just think that, you know, you're just, well, I think something. we're the luckiest in the world because we just tapped into something that already existed, which is mm -hmm. an incredible reading community. And you're part of it too. I mean, the people who come to listen to this, the people who read are, are the best people. The end. Yeah. I know. I know. We could just, we, we could end there, Patty. That's it. People who read are the best. I always say the book yeah. world is the best place to be um, because it just, I mean, it. I could go on, but it just is. I don't know. And to see things, it's like bookstagram, to see things grow organically out of just going off on a whim is so fun. And when you stick by and just keep seeing it go and go and go. And like you yeah. said, you guys are writing books too. It's not like you're just doing this. So to see you all like celebrate each other. And then like when this book made the New York Times bestseller list, like the, all the, like you guys are congratulating. It's just, it's really fun. And we need that. We need that energy. We need today. community. We, we need do. community. We do. Okay. So we are here for Flora. And I loved this book so much. You, and we said community, but we also need books to transport us to places 
that are magical. And this was a very magical book, but give us your little pitch about the book and then we'll sort of dig in a little bit. But like I said, I don't want to give spoilers because there's a lot of elements to this book. Yes. There's a lot of layers. Yes. All right. Come with me. The year is 1939 and we are in Bloomsbury, England, right outside of London. When we meet Hazel, who is 14 years old, and her little sister, Flora Lee, who is five years old. An edict has just come down from the government that all children must be sent away from the cities to the country to be kept safe from the impending, impending and expected German bombs. It is called Operation Pied Piper. Well, Hazel and Flora Lee get lucky. They are sent away and exiled from their family, but they are chosen by a lovely family in a little English hamlet called Binzi, right outside of Oxford. It is there that they live with a new family called the Aberdeens, a mom named Bridie and a son named Harry. But no matter how lovely it is, they are still exiled from their family. So Hazel, the older sister, makes up a fairy tale world for the little sister, Flora Lee. It is called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. In Whisperwood, they can be anything they please. Birds, owls, fish, bunny rabbits, talking chipmunks. They are always safe in Whisperwood, their imaginary world. But it is a secret between just the two of them. A year goes by and the unthinkable happens when Flora Lee disappears. She is lost from the edge of the river Thames. It is assumed she has drowned and Hazel feels terrible guilt because she thinks that Flora Lee went to look for Whisperwood. 20 years go by, Flora Lee is not found. And Hazel carries a great amount of guilt. She is working in an antiquarian bookshop in London in the year 1960. When a book comes through the back door, she unwraps the package, the brown parchment paper. She unties the red ribbon. She sees some original illustrations and slides them aside to see a rare first edition of an American book, a fairy tale called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. Her secret story is now a book written by an American author. And what does that mean for the loss of her sister? That's what it's about. Okay. I feel like I was just at library as a kid and you were telling me this. Like I was like, yes, yes. Keep telling us. Um, yes, it has mystery. There's a little romance, like intrigue, the war. There's so many lovable characters um, and characters that you don't love that much. How did you come up with this idea? So the idea, I think it's so many ideas, right? So sometimes yeah. ideas, I think, for authors are like a lightning strike. Like I'm going to write about C.S. Lewis's wife, right? Yeah, that was right. a lightning strike for me. That was becoming Mrs. Lewis. This was more like a, a bunch of seeds planted in my murky soil of my subconscious. But the very first seed was the word Operation Pied Piper. I'd always known about children being sent away from the cities to live in the country. And I had always known that, I mean, for example, that is where Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy come from in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But I'd never known what it was called. When I discovered that it was called Operation Pied Piper, I got that weird little tingle on the back of my neck. 
down my arms that, you know, wait, I don't think Operation Pied Piper is, I don't think Pied Piper is a good legend. And you know, as well as anybody that legends and fairy tales, Courtney, are gruesome. The real ones, yeah. the originals are gruesome. And yeah. the Pied Piper is no different. Is about a piper who plays a flute and leads children out of the town to disappear forever and drown in a river. And when I looked up the old legend, and by the way, a German legend, I was pinged by the idea of why would they name an operation to keep children safe after a doomed and terrible legend of lost and drowned children? So that was the very first idea for the story. And in fact, the title was originally The River Child because I was intrigued by this idea of the children being led away and then then they drown in a river. And why would you do that if you were trying to keep them safe? So, okay. And then it just sort of, I mean, there's so much more to it. And like you said, there's the past, there's the present, but the present um, is 20 years later. So in the fifties and there, you don't, I mean, there's something about your books that you do have this, there's like magic sprinkled throughout and you Mm -hmm. took something, there's some heavier topics woven into the story, um, you know, and some were really, you know, sad, like really sad, the relationship with their mom and that whole guilt that she felt, but, you know, knowing that they had to be safe, but they loved Bridie and Harry, like we love Harry. (laughs) Um, We love Harry. We We love love Harry. Oh my God. We love Harry so much. And so like it, but you just always add this like magical element. I feel like it's your like signature thing. I feel like the, your older books, as you've progressed as a writer, there's always this just like sense of like in this book, you really did transport us. Do you feel that when you're writing? Oh, I love that you say that. I love that because it is my goal. And I feel that in the past probably four or five books, each book I inch closer and closer to my own obsessions, which are the liminal, which is where story dwells in this liminal space between the seen and the unseen, the visible and the invisible. Like there is magic in story. I mean, we, these are completely imaginary people. That are mm-hmm. as we're talking about them as if we're going to have dinner with them tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, I wanted this book, especially this book, to be soaked with that. That you weren't sure whether did Whisperwood really take her? Could have? Is that where we're going? What what could have happened to her? And and while we're in the real world, we're also in these enchanting woodlands and and. British countryside that I'm completely enamored with. And so how do we take these places that feel ordinary, but through different eyes is completely extraordinary. So when I just took a walk with my dog right before I popped on here and we were walking down the river park near where I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and a owl, huge owl swooped right over us landed in a tree and just stared at us. And it was this white speckled owl. And I was like, are you trying to tell me? Yeah. So, right. Like, 
I wanted, I, I was on the phone with my daughter and I was like, oh my gosh. So I wanted somebody else to see it because, so there is this magical, if we're paying attention, there is this magical world in the world we live in right now. And I wanted you to feel that as I was writing that story. Yeah. There's also I very mean, hard things in the world we're living in right now. Very hard things. And I wanted, I didn't want to brush over it with a little pixie dust, but I wanted to show how we could live in the world by noticing that there is something more. Yes. Right. And, and you also have a heart, you know, she goes missing and what does that mean? What happened? And so that's sort of that intrigue that's woven throughout the whole book, because you really take us really up until the end. I mean, that's like the intrigue and mystery part of the whole, we don't know. And so you're taking us back and forth, which I loved. Um, but we don't know what happens to her really almost up until like the absolute very end. And it's the same yeah. sort of with these relationships. Why did you decide to do two sisters? I love a sister's book. I do too. I'm the <laughs> oldest of three um, sisters. I don't think I decided. That's so funny. That's such a great question because that's how the book started. Just with two, two sisters. sisters, one who makes up a fairy tale world and one who disappears. There was no overthinking it. There was no, okay, now I'm going to write a book about Operation Pied Piper. Should I have two sisters or a brother and a sister? Or like, it just came that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't decide it. There were two. Now, many other things I did decide, like where they would live, who, what family would choose them, what she would decide in the end, who, what happened to Flora Lee. And even those came as the writing but the story began with Hazel and Flora Lee, and that's how it arrived. There was no decision-making involved. Well, what I loved about their relationship, and like you mentioned before, is she created this world, you know, so much was going on for them at such a young age, uprooted from their mm -hmm. home, from their mom, their whole storyline with the dad, and she as a her as her being the older sister was like i'm going to keep you safe let me create this world for you so that we can feel safe together and this is like a place that you can escape and then you have to live through this like trauma of hers and i loved her i loved that she worked in like a bookstore i loved that whole like storyline um but also it was like it almost felt like a thriller in a way cuz it was like the sister who needed to know what happened to her? Like she couldn't rest until she could she not knew. rest. And what was what in her life was she willing to destroy or undo to find out? Yeah, right. And she was having all these crossroads with her career and relationships. Yeah. And it just had so many, so many great elements to it and layers. Who was your favorite character to write? Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. Um, I loved writing. I mean, I'm in Hazel's voice the entire novel. So obviously I love her. She narr even though we're dual timeline, 1939 and 1940, and then 1960, even though we're doing that, it's she's the same voice. She we hear from her as a 15-year-old, and we hear from her as a 35-year-old. And we get the connective tissue in between. So I love her because she narrates the whole book. But I particularly loved writing Bridie, mm -hmm. um, Bridget, who is the mother 
that chose them to live with the family during Operation Pied Piper. She is the stranger who chooses Hazel and Floralee and becomes a second mother to them. And I loved writing the scenes with her. I would, I, I, I still want to know her better. I almost feel like maybe she has her own story to tell. She was, I loved, and you write in the back about it a little bit, and I'm probably going to say the term wrong, but when that was going on, they would say something like, we'll, we'll take them or I'll take them or something. When I they choose were, you. I choose yeah. you. And like, I think I loved her and, you know, she had so many different layers to her as well. But the fact that, you know, she welcomed these two girls into her home and, you know, understood that they were scared and she already had kids. So it's like, you know, welcoming them, you know, into her home. Yeah. She, she was, I feel like, and I love that she too. thought she wanted a boy because she needed more help around, yeah. around the farm. And yet it is her son who talks her into choosing these two sisters. Harry. I know. He's so good. I feel like you could do more with them. And then who was the hardest to write? Um, who was the hardest to write? I think the mom of Hazel and Flora Lee was difficult for me because I had to walk a balancing act with her because I never go into her point of view. Mm -hmm. So I had to, it wasn't hard to write because I didn't understand her or like her, but it was hard for me to not keep up as a mom, how to not dive into the difficult decision she made, because this was in many ways, not her story. This right. was Hazel and Flora Lee's story, but I kept wanting to defend Camelia for the choices she made, you know, sending her kids away. I kept wanting her to have a conversation with Hazel and make Hazel not feel guilty. Um, but I wasn't going into her point of view. So it was a really fine line to walk, to try and show how difficult that was for her while staying inside Hazel and Flora Lee's world. Yeah, right. Because you could have a whole thing about her and what was happening Absolutely. while they were taken away from her, what was going on in her life. And then she comes and, and sees them. What kind of um, research did you have to do for this? Oh, I did so much research. Um, so a lot of it was on the land of Binzi mm -hmm. because Binzi is a story soaked Hamlet where the story takes place, where the novel takes place. Um, I went to England for nearly a month and toured and talked to people. But the biggest piece of research had to do with the experience of the children during Operation Pied Piper. So there are a number of books out there in the world. One is called Don't Forget to Write. And it's all first person accounts of people who experienced Operation Pied Piper. I interviewed a woman, a 94 year old woman who was, they call themselves evacuees. I interviewed an evacuee. Um, so there were many, it, it was a multi-layered research, but in a much different way than my other historical fiction, because in those, I did a lot of digging through archives and boxes and, um, you know, letters, but this had a lot more to do with first person accounts and then visiting the landscape where the novel takes place. 
So everywhere you read about from Bloomsbury to London to Oxfordshire to Binsey to Cornwall to St. Ives, I went to all those places so that I could give you the natural feel of the landscape and what you were surrounded with. But because I don't dive into the mechanics of World War II or battles or Churchill's war room, like we're not in any of that. We are we are with these two little girls. Um, and so a lot of it had to do with first person accounts of that time. Yeah. I mean, you could, t- now that you say that you went there for a month, you could absolutely tell reading it because you, can feel- you could feel just like, I don't know. I was thinking like greens and just like misty yes. and like all of that stuff. Um, So you could totally tell that you did that research. And again, it just adds that layer of, you know, transporting the reader because the setting yeah. was its own character um, in this book and did play such an important role. Um, but I- Oh, the landscape think- was alive to me, especially yes. the little hamlet of Binzi. It was, yeah. it was its own character for sure. It was, it was. Um, and I loved that you, t- well, I don't love that this <laughs> happened to this woman, but that you were able to talk to a nine, somebody that this, you know, lived this still living, which is incredible. She was so fascinating. I wrote a short story inspired by her that's in my book club kit, if anybody wants to read it. But yes, she was she was amazing. And it really gave me a, a bit more perspective on what it felt like to be exiled from your family and also how nobody talked about it when it was over. Oh, interesting. Like, One of the questions I asked her was when she was finally reunited with her brother and her little sisters and her mother, did they talk about it? And she said, not once. And yet she could tell me everything about it. So she's been carrying it with her. And so I used that when I was fashioning Hazel and how she would handle it. It would make sense. She would never talk about it, Mm -hmm. but it would make sense. She never, she never stopped carrying. Let go. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine as a little girl, them being like, you're going with these people now and you don't have a choice. And and not only how that would feel as a child, but imagine being a mom or a, you know, like they, you know, Hazel and and Flora Lee were lucky enough to stay together, but I'm sure I'm guessing siblings were separated or did they try to keep them together? They tried to keep them together. But for instance, the woman I interviewed, they were together for a while and then that family had to give them up or something happened and they, then they were split up. So sometimes he would go together, but then be split up. I mean, that's I know it's terrible. Totally traumatizing. So, and it was her like little brother, like he was same as Flora Lee, like maybe six or something, and he got sent to a different family, and so this trauma goes on and on and on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. And that's in your book club kit. If you want to read the story about her, I want to read it now. I want to read it. Um. Okay. And what? I'm guessing you're working on something now, or did you already finish your next book? Oh, gosh, no, I have not finished my next. <laughs> it has been all florally all the time for the past couple years between finishing it and the travel and the research and the pre-publication and just got a month off a month, almost a month long tour. Um, so, yes, I am working on something, but I couldn't even begin to describe it, even if you begged me. So okay. I am I'm trying to get there. Um, I'm trying to to 
separate myself enough from, from this tale to find my way into another. And that's really hard because this book, harder than it usually is for me, but this book has been all consuming. And I have been so in love with these sisters and this story and the magic of it that um, I keep trying to write the same story. So I need to write Interesting. something new. I can only, I can only imagine what that would feel like. Another, somebody else that I chatted with on the podcast said that, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. It's like saying goodbye to like real people. Like, you know what I mean? For you that you are seeing them in your head every single day. And then it's like, okay, the book's out. It's doing amazing. Um, And we forgot to mention it's the Barnes and Noble book club pick of this month, right? Ah, So cool. So cool. Um. And there's and like, they have a really it's like a special, special edition. edition. Yes. yes. They I have like um, colored that. end papers. And then I have an essay in there called The Uses of Enchantment that is in the back of the book. So you get a special essay and a different a different book. So it, it was really exciting to have that. And it is the May pick. And you're a book of the month pick. Yes. Right? I know. I forgot. I like forgot about that. I would have picked it's it for my book of the month, but I already had it. I was like, oh, you already had it. Yeah. That and okay. So Barnes and Noble book club pick, book of the month selection, and it hit the New York Times bestseller list. So I mean, that just says it all. People knew before it even came out that this book is like you just used the perfect word. It's enchanting, even though oh, like we you. just talked about a few heavier topics um the relationship of these two sisters and just carries you through through it all which is just I just loved it loved it loved it um thank you okay before we do your before we do your chic list questions what else friends and fiction like it's on Facebook friends and fiction you guys have an Instagram you have like this ridiculous website the newsletter, that's what I want. The, newsletter, the newsletter is letter. amazing. Yep. And it goes out once a week and it has mm-hmm. Q&As with our, I think it's so undervalued because there's a Q&A with our, the authors we're interviewing every single week. For example, like all your favorite authors answering Q&A in a newsletter form every single week. Um, we put our up-to-date news on there. We put meaning the hosts, Christy and Kristen and Mary Kay and me. Um, and then there's the podcast on Fridays. There's a YouTube channel. Yeah, we're easy to find. You can find us anywhere. Because I know, because you're like a rock band. Um, I was going to say, I read the newsletter every single week. I subscribe and you nailed it. There's like two, sometimes if you have two guests, two interviews, there's always an interview with whoever your guest is. Updates on you guys, what you guys are reading, which I love because I always want to know what authors are reading. reading. Um, And there's always like fun tidbits, like it's jam packed. So people should subscribe, should subscribe to that. Okay, here we go. I'm excited. All right. I'm ready. Okay. You're ready. Okay. The author that inspired or inspires you the most and why? Right now. I mean, that changes through the years, of course. Right now, Kate Morton. I just love her work. I think she's so smart. Um, I was able to interview her when her newest novel, Homecoming, came out um, for her launch day. And I just 
everything about her inspires me, the way she sees the world, how she writes her novels, how she sticks to what she loves. She is very inspiring to me. I know. I have Homecoming. I'm excited to read that because it looks so good. It's like this big. I know. It's really thick. See, I have to like mentally prepare for large yes. books. Not that there's, I just, you have to be in like a focus. No, you have to know it's a commitment. Definitely. Yeah, you're committing and you can't bail out. Got to do it. Okay. Um, current TV binge series. I was in the mood for something really gentle the past couple months. I know mm-hmm. there's some really good, you know, suspenseful ones out, but I've been watching All Creatures Great and Small. I oh, on it. PBS? Yes. I haven't seen it. It pops up on something for me and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I love PBS. I really do. It's so good and the writing is so good and the scenery is breathtaking you know it's in the countryside of England um but I just love it I'm just loving it okay that's good to know um last favorite book and current read um oh my gosh I have so many favorite books but the one that I keep raving about is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell yes astounding and my current read is The Paris Daughter by Kristen Harmel which I just got in the mail today and I'm so excited to read. I read, um, this year I read of hers, I'm totally blanking on the name. It was the 10th anniversary, The Sweetness of Forgetting. The Sweetness of Forgetting. I, she's really great too. I mean, you guys all are. I love, literally I couldn't, if I were to like hand select a, a, a group, I really do love all of your books. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to tell everyone when we get yeah, up. Yeah, tell 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 everyone. Um, sand or snow? Oh, definitely sand. Okay, same. Um, coffee or tea order? Oh, coffee. Coffee with all the things, the milk, the cream, the no sugar, but do you like all a flavored coffee? coffee? Do you like a flavored nope. coffee? No, just regular. Okay, love just, that. I like to taste the coffee. I love, love coffee. that. Yep, me too. Um, okay, we discussed this question. We're not, we don't need to go solo favorite, but like what's a bookstagram account that just is present in your mind? Right now. So I, I, like you said, I love bookstagrammers. I, I remember when it first started, Courtney, Same. we were like, what's a bookstagrammer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But right now in my mind is sticking out it, because I she just showed up at one of my um events and she's just so darling and fun is katie reads new jersey katie reads i don't i didn't even know that one this is why i asked just yeah she's she's showed up at friends and fiction events and she was just recently at one of mine and i just think the other one that um and i'm not even sure it's a bookstagram per se but bakes by jill she makes a lot of cookies that are um, book related. And I had her make a whole bunch of cookies for my publishing house. Um, she's awesome too. See, I didn't know either of those, but yes, that see bookstagram was like friends in fiction. You slowly watched like now it's, it's a whole entity. And I think it really was such a catalyst for authors during the pandemic because that's how you know you were seeing what was coming out people would go live they would show you know 
it was just this yep. whole thing. And it took I think the it, place of the word of mouth handing yeah. you the book, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, okay, name an author you'd love to have coffee or a cocktail with. So many. I know this is going to shock you, but Stephen King. I I mean, that would be incredible. I want to have a cocktail with Stephen King. I want to sit down and talk to him about all the things of the writing world and his imagination and his life. And he'd probably be like, to me. Like, I don't, I feel like he wouldn't. I really feel like in, like, he seems like a great, like I've listened to him when they interview him, like at the Red Sox or whatever. And he seems like not what we think he is like with his books and stuff. He just seems like a guy who writes the book. I know. And, and oh, he loves to... the world of imagination. So his yes. book on writing is one of my favorite books about writing and he narrates the audio. So we've actually hung out and he just doesn't know it. So. Oh, well, we're going to, that's going to happen for you at some point. We'll, we'll manifest that. Um, okay. Who is your, who is your style icon? Oh, I can't look like her. I am not anything like her, but Audrey Hepburn. If I could be that effortlessly chic, that would be amazing. She's a, she's a repeat answer every, and it's just like, it really, it says it all. I mean, she is, she could just, she, I mean, her whole thing was like black pants and a black turtleneck. Yet she looked like she was like a supermodel walking the runway and she didn't need anything. Like she really didn't. And if I wore black, like little pedal pushers and a black turtleneck, I would look like I'd just gotten out of jail. So I don't know. I don't, I, just, I, don't, I disagree. <laughs> You're very cute. I disagree. I think you would look so cute. But, but she, she is just that so lit, even in her older years, right? Like she was yes, just so still cool. so stunning. Yeah, she yeah, was stunning. so stylish. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Book you wish they made a movie out of? Um, the Lost Queen by Signe Pike. Oh, I don't know if I know that book. Yeah, I would like to see that made into a movie, a series. It's a it is a series, not a TV series, a book series. Um, her third one, I think it comes out next year. But The Lost Queen came out maybe four or five years ago. It's Scotland. It's the 600s. It's my, all my favorite things. It's all your favorite things. Okay, The Lost Queen. Okay, last question. Best advice for an aspiring writer or reader? Read, read voraciously. Um, read tirelessly and read curiously. Um, I think curiosity and paying attention are two of the most under talked about qualities of the writing life. And if you read with a curious and open mind, I think that is one of the first things I would tell anyone who is wanting to write. I love that. And so true. So true. Um, okay. So we know. People can find friends and fiction. So very just type it in and all the things will pop up. What is your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is Patty, P-A-T-T-I, middle initial C as in Callahan, Henry, Patty C. Henry. Um, but if you put in Patty Henry or Patty Callahan, it will pop up. Um, but that is where I spend most of my social media time is on Instagram. 
You do. You're very like interactive, which is so fun. And your website's incredible. It has so many great tidbits. There's like the best biography. You can do a short in and then there's like extensions, which I loved. I was like, oh, I can keep learning more about her. Um, That's so but, funny. It, but it is a pretty in-depth. It's it has a everything site. I ever wrote. Yeah. You I, can it's click lovely. on articles Patty wrote. Articles yes. Patty. Book I, club kits. Every no, book. Yeah. It has a lot. I loved it. I loved it. But I love, I want to thank you for the gift of your books. And then also just thank you for like, you're such a great cheerleader. You're just so fun to watch. Um, And just adding so much value to, to the book world aside from your book. So that's always so fun as a fan to see, um, you know, one of your favorite authors. So, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me because you're doing all the Courtney. things. I am so grateful you had me on. I feel honored. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And you are a true delight. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in.